As we get started this morning, I, I just like us to think about what's going on in Paul's life. I know, I know you probably think about what's going on in your life, but I, w- I want to kind of draw you into this, and I want to want, want to invite you to think a little bit more deeply about what was going on in Paul's life. Uh, by ne- by this point, Paul's been in prison for for two years. Uh, Felix, the governor of Judea, kept him locked up, uh, hoping that Paul would bribe his way out of prison. Uh, Felix was immoral. He was corrupt. He was concerned about his popularity more than justice for Paul. And when Felix came to the end of his term, which is described right here in in our scripture reading, when he came to to the end of his term as governor, uh, he left Paul in prison. He left Paul to languish in prison simply because he wanted to please the Jews. In other words, he, he was doing it for his own advantage, for his own political advantage. Now, the unfairness of this would, would be enough to make a person's blood boil. If you, were, if you were left to languish in prison for no just cause, but just because a person wanted to do somebody else a favor, it, it, it's enough to make a person furious. It would make a person bitter. And yet, we have read and from last week's message how when Paul was, was brought before Felix, Paul does not come as a bitter protester. He did, does not come with a rant about how unjust he's been treated. He talks to Felix about faith in Jesus Christ. He, his focus is on using the opportunity before him to point to Jesus. And of, of course, Paul thinks he should have been released. Of course, he wanted justice, but it is not ruining his life or his faith or his joy or his enthusiasm for Jesus Christ that he is not getting it. How do we learn to live like that? A person like Paul getting so much mistreatment, unfair uh, treatment, injustice, and yet he comes Speaking about Jesus. He's obviously not a, a, a bitter, uh, depressed, hopeless person. His eyes are on the Lord. So our title this morning is, uh, The Will of God is Accomplished in Our Lives Even Through Injustice. Uh, that means that God works His plans for good for you Even when doors are slammed in your face by other people, even when other people hold you back, even when other people seemingly ruin your plans, even when other people make life really hard or painful for you. And there may be nothing more challenging to our faith than than to believe what I just said. And yet, based on the stories of the Bible from... From beginning to end, and right here from the book of Acts, we see this truth over and over and over and over. The saints who have gone before us have suffered injustice and mistreatment. I mean, it's really hard to find a godly woman in the Bible or in history who did not experience unjust or unfair treatment. And yet their stories, all of them reflect the goodness 
and the glory of God. And your life uh, will follow something of that same pattern. It's, it's the pattern of the cross and the crown. Uh, I think it was William Penn who said, no cross, no, no, cross, no crown. Uh, Paul said, if we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. Uh, it's the pattern of death and resurrection, of crucifixion and vindication, of suffering and glory. It's the way things work in the kingdom of God. And the sooner you embrace that, the happier saint, the happier Christian you're going to be. Thank you, Josh. I'm not saying, or I'm not just saying, that God works for us in spite of painful things. I'm not saying that God simply works for us kind of around unjust things. We are, we are proclaiming, and the Bible claim, proclaims, that God works through the injustice and in the injustice. And some of your greatest usefulness to the Lord, to the Lord's people and to the Lord's work, will probably come through the suffering of some kind of injustice. God works through the sufferings of injustice to accomplish His purposes in you to make you a, a deeper, stronger, more complete person. He works through the sufferings of injustice to, to get you into His plans and His design and purposes for your life. And he works through the suffering of injustice to prepare you for what Paul called this a massive weight of glory that was ahead of him. God works through the suffering of injustice to prepare future glory for you. So God takes what is a, what is a weapon against you, a weapon formed against you, and makes it work as a weapon for you. No, no wonder Jesus said, how blessed are you when people mistreat you and insult you and tell lies about you. Be happy about it and be glad. In Luke, it says, leap for joy and rejoice. Okay, if we're, if we're not leaping, we've, if we probably not really haven't, got, haven't totally gotten this. This is not the only way that God works, okay? We're saying that God works even through injustice and mistreatment to get his good co- purposes accomplished in our lives, okay? This is not the only way that God works, of course. Many times God blesses and encourages us and he moves us forward through incredible mercies and favor shown to us and shown to us by other people. Uh, God shows mercies to us all the time through favorable circumstances. And some of the things that I've been able to do in life came from other people giving me opportunities that were generous and kind. But it would, be, it would, it would severely handicap us, maybe even ruin us, if we refuse to accept that God works His will for us and in us at times through people who are not kind and not merciful to us. All right, three things this does not mean. 
This does not mean we shouldn't work for justice or appeal for justice for ourselves or for others. Paul did that. We, we, we're going to see that in this story. But it didn't ruin his life when he didn't get that. God would still win. Paul would still win. Indeed, God would still win through the very things that looked so unfair to our human eyes. Secondly, this does not mean that God approves of mistreatment or injustice. It is an abomination to him. He hates slander. He hates deceit. He hates cruelty. He hates abuse of every kind. You know, the, just as an example in the book of Malachi, God proclaims his, his anger against the man who is unfaithful and violent toward the wife of his youth. You know, God sees and knows all the harsh words, all the terrible things done in every kind of situation that you possibly have ever experienced it. And God promises that he will judge Evil. He will vindicate the righteous. But until we see the end of the story, the me- God's message for us is that we can have peace. We can have confidence that God is blazing a path of triumph and good for us, even through the inequities of life. And if we get to the point where we really confidently believe it, we might even be able to leap for joy as Jesus said, when we're treated unjustly or insulted or people tell lies about us. Third, this does not mean that we should develop a mindset that everybody is against us because it's just not true most of the time. Uh, Even in Paul's life and his story, there were many people, even unbelievers, who saved Paul's life like the Roman Tribune. What it does mean is that even in those cases where people are actively and actually working against you, it does not and cannot ruin your life if you are a child of God. But it will instead be used by God to take you further into His purposes and plans. All right, let's go back and we're going to look just a little bit more detail at some of the injustices that Paul suffered at Jerusalem and Caesarea. Uh, These are not the greatest sufferings in Paul's life by a long stretch. They're just what we see here and I I think so so clearly point out uh, how part of God's working, working out his purposes for Paul was accomplished through suffering. As I said earlier, over two years earlier, uh, Paul had made his defense at Jerusalem before the Jews. And what did the Jews do in response to Paul's defense? They said, this guy is not fit to live. And they attempted to stone him. Then the next day he was brought before the Jewish council. Uh, They were completely prejudiced against Paul. They wanted him condemned regardless of the facts. Uh, The Jewish high priest Ananias, who was supposedly a godly person, uh, he ordered a man to hit Paul in the mouth. Uh, Then 40 Jewish leaders took an oath to murder Paul. Uh, His life was only spared by the intervention of his nephew and the Roman tribune, and he was taken by night to Caesarea. And there, Felix, 
governor of Judea, kept Paul in prison for two years. And I just recounted that at the, in the, my opening statement. He was hoping to, to, take, to make money off of Paul. And he would bring him out to question him every once in a while, but his, his real motive was not justice for Paul. His real motive was to make money. And it was at those times, in the midst of that injustice, when Paul was brought out to talk to Felix, that he would talk to him about faith in Christ. Uh, When his term as governor was up, even though he knew Paul was innocent, he left Paul in prison because he wanted to do the Jews a favor. Should I switch to the handheld? Is this this bothering people too? I don't know if I'm moving or... What, what? But anyway, if it's not bothering you too much, I'll, I'll keep going. All right, perfect. Well, Festus then became governor after Felix. And Festus was a, was a better man than Felix, but his desire to please the Jews also kept him from treating Paul justly. He allowed the Jews to bring many serious uh, charges against Paul, uh, but verse 7 says they could not prove any of them. Verse 8, Paul defended himself, I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Verse 9, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul knew he was innocent. Festus knew he was innocent, just like Felix had known he was innocent. But Festus lacked the courage, he lacked the backbone to make a favorable judgment for Paul, even though that would have been the right thing to do. And you can put yourself in this position. I mean, it's really hard to make any kind of decision if you know when you make that decision, a whole lot of people are going to be mad at you. And that was the situation Festus was in. So instead of going ahead and making a decision, which he knew would make the Jews really, really mad at him, He decided to not make any decision at all. And he tried to to talk Paul, or he tried to get Paul to go back to Jerusalem, it says, as a favor to the Jews. But Paul knew that if if he agreed to that, he would not receive a fair trial at Jerusalem. And and he, more than that, he knew that he would be killed. He knew that the Jews would murder him. He knew that they, that was their motive and their desire for him. So Paul, in verse 10, Paul answered, Well, I am, I am now, right now, I am standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. Notice, notice the word ought. I mean, Paul was telling Festus uh, what was just. He said, I should be set free. I have not done anything wrong against the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I mean, Paul could clearly see the injustice that was being worked against him. I mean... It was not like uh, Paul was just some naive uh, guy in prison. I mean, he he totally was aware of the the evil intent, the malicious 
things that were being worked against him. He, he was totally aware of the injustice, the unfairness of it. Paul could see that Festus was, was caving in and that he was about to hand him over to the Jews and he knew what that meant. So he said, I appeal to Caesar. And Festus agreed that Paul would go to Rome. All right, here's what I want us to see. Paul did not go to Rome because of a just and impartial legal process, but through the process of moral cowardice, corruption, injustice, and attempted extortion. Yet the end result of all this was that Paul was going to Rome. The, the end result of, of all this corruption and this injustice was that Paul was going to Rome. Which is what Jesus' plan for Paul was too. Okay? You remember? The Lord told Paul the night that he stood near him. He said, Paul, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also testify for me in Rome. Jesus had said uh, to his disciples... To all of his disciples, not just Paul, he said to all of his disciples, On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them. So, and Jesus had specifically uh, revealed to, that Paul would testify before kings and rulers. That was fulfilled. That came about because or through the process of Paul being treated with gross injustice and through the process of him being handed off from governor to governor, from king to king, and finally to the emperor. In the natural, or we might say by sight, it looked like these governors were ruining Paul's life. They, they were shutting lots of doors for Paul. They were literally keeping him locked up. But his footsteps were being directed by God. I mean, nothing could stop the power of God's plan for Paul. Nothing could stop God's working in Paul. Nothing could keep Paul from knowing Jesus Christ and rejoicing in Christ and talking about Christ, proclaiming him. And nothing could hold back the eternal massive glory that was being stored up for Paul. In, indeed, the very things that he suffered were leading to God's plans being fulfilled for him. All right, so let's talk about what this means for us. You need to see God as the good and final ruler over your life, even the unfair things that happen to you. I know it's hard to say amen, but let's say amen, okay? <laughs> God's power and plans for you are not so fragile that they are ruined by other people. I find it interesting in Acts 24 and 25, God, or Paul was primarily dealing with Roman governors. The word governor means one who has authority over an area or over a group of people. And yet we do not view, as believers, we do not view human governors as having the final say over our lives. We, we do not see ourselves as being 
under the governance of men. And I'm, I'm talking about any men, not just political rulers, but we do not see our lives as being under, ultimately under the governance of men, but being, but being under the governance of heaven. And that was how Paul looked at life. If your God is big enough, injustice cannot ruin your life. If your God is big enough, there is no mistreatment, there is no thing that can be done to you or said about you or said to you that can ruin your life. But it does take a God the size of the God of the Bible. It, it takes a God who rules over all, a God who can make the plans of evil men and even devils and demons work against them and work for you. There is nothing that can happen to you that is not redeemable by the God of the Bible. No one can keep your story from ending in good and in glory. And, that, and it goes back to our, our memory text for, that we have for this, this month. I thought it was so fitting that, that, that Josh had selected that verse for us in con- connection with this message. You know, all through the story of Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion is the theme that events, even in that, were being orchestrated by heaven or by God, even, even the injustice. Uh, Peter said that through all the mistreatment, mistreatment, the reviling, the mocking, the lies, Peter said Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I mean, G- Jesus saw God as his ruler over even that experience. He had confidence in the rule of the Father. He had confidence in the ultimate justice and goodness of the Father. So when they hurled their insults at him, he did not insult them in return. Peter says when he suffered unjustly, he made no threats, but he entrusted himself to his Father. He entrusted himself to the rule of God, to the rule of heaven. That means he left him, his case, his life in God's hands. He gave, him, he gave himself up to the rule of God. And God raised him up and gave him a name that is above all names. When you come to Jesus, when you come into a union with Jesus Christ by faith, you, you are brought into a whole new place. You're brought into like a whole new world. Uh, in Bible terminology, it's a whole new kingdom. When you come into union with Jesus Christ, you're brought into a new, a new kingdom where God governs and overrules and works good plans for us regardless of the evils or the injustices that happen to us. And God, God rules over all people, but there is a unique governance for good that God has promised to those who love him. And so enter, entering the kingdom of God, entering the kingdom of God, it's, it's like opening a door and stepping into Narnia. It's being delivered from one kingdom and brought into another kingdom. Paul described it as being delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, 
For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And so we've been, we've been given a kingdom and the father's been pleased to bring, to, 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 to give it to us. And Jesus says, do not, do not be afraid. It has pleased the father to give you the kingdom. And so we're never, we're never to look at life the same way again. In, in this kingdom, we have a heavenly father who, who knows what we need even before we ask. He promises to clothe us and care for us as, as his beloved sons and daughters. He gives us each day just what we need for that day. And in the most sweeping statement in the Bible, he works, he promises to work all things for our good. All things. God lovingly rules over your life. In, in this place, in this place where you now live as a son or daughter of God, God lovingly rules over your life in such a way that no evil can triumph over you. And so, so in Christ, we, we are in this, we're in, we're in this incredible place of security where, where we, we are in a, this strong tower or this mighty fortress where we live boldly and courageously through life not living in fear. Like Jesus said, do not fear, little flock. We're brought into this place where, where we're safe because, because God is surrounding us and making everything that happens to us and around us to work for us and not against us. Nothing can change that, not even injustice. Secondly, you must, you must actually practice believing this in your real world on a day-by-day basis. I, I think probably most people here would agree with mo- pretty much everything I've said up to this point. But then we get to the point of... Of, of, of really thinking this way, of really believing this way, of really responding to life this way. And if you, if you only view God's rule in your life, or even this promise, it's in our memory text for this month, if you only view this promise that you know, God, God works all things for good for those who love him, if you only view that as, as kind of a, as kind of a, a theory um, or kind of a, a sentimental feeling that, oh yeah, that, that sounds really beautiful. But if, and if, you, if you never get to the place where you, where you really view it with a full-blown confidence, then in effect, you will really still view your life as outside the safety and sufficiency of God's rule. And if, if, you, if you really do, in, in, in practice, if, you, if, if in actuality you really do think of yourself outside the safety and security of God's rule, then you will either live frightened or nervous at least, or angry or bitter or all of that. Frightened just because of all the wildness that has happened to you or might happen to you. You know, if, if we're not in this in this 
safe, secure place under God's rule no matter what, then life is a wild place. Lots of stuff happens to us. Lots of stuff can happen to us. And if we are not living in, in full-blown confidence in this, in this rule, good and benevolent, secure, safe rule of God, no matter what, uh, we, we're, we're going to live in some level of anxiety or nervousness about life and, and, and all that, like I say, either has happened or, or is happening or, or could happen to you. Or we become angry because of, of, of the mistreatment that we've received. We become, we become focused and tuned into and thinking about all, all the injustice of what has happened to us and, and how much that's cost us and, and how, it, how it's messed things up and how it's ruined our plans and how, how it's hurt our life. And we become, that, that becomes kind of the place, the place that we live. We, we might actually... Uh, we might actually read a verse like Romans 8.28 and say, oh yeah, I believe that. But then in the way that we really are thinking in our mind, the way that we're really speaking, the way that we're talking to other people, the expressions on our faith, our face, uh, just the way we're coming at life shows, shows that no, we're not really confidently believing these unbelievably, wonderfully, magnificent promises that God has for us as his sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. And it's almost like if it's it's almost like boy the devil is trying to stop this message I know it. But it's all going to work for good. Okay. Uh, it, it's it's almost like uh God has invited us into this uh room or this dining room where there's where there's this great Feast prepared for us, and if we go into that room, we can just we can celebrate, we can rejoice, we can give thanks in all things, have this marvelous sense of contentment and happiness and peace about life. And it's like we can we can either choose we can either we can either receive that invitation to come into that place or not. And that's maybe a, a poor illustration, but I but I, I think of I think of what Paul said how. You know, the, in Romans, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the, the people they were all concerned about wh- what foods they could could or should eat or not eat. And Paul said, uh, "Hey guys, the the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit." And so the 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 idea is that if if you want to enjoy the kingdom of God. You kind of got to get your focus off of eating and drinking and all these rules and regs about that. And you, need, and you need to step into this place of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit because Paul says that is living in the kingdom of God. And so what, what, I, what I want to appeal to, you know what, I'm going to, should I take, get that mic? I'm going to take, I'll take this other mic. Okay, here's here's where I was going with that. Um, if you don't live and in, move into this place of full blown confidence 
in God's good rule and over your life, no matter what happens, if you don't move into that place, you're, you're really not enjoying the benefits of living in the kingdom of God. You're not really enjoying the benefits of living as a son and daughter of God. You know, even Christians sometimes say things like, uh, when am I ever going to get a fair shake? Or when's, when's it ever going to be my turn? Or, or why do I seem to always get the short end of the stick or a raw deal? Or it just seems like everything and everybody's always seems to be against me. And these can become thought patterns or thoughts that play in the back of our mind like a recording or a song that you just can't get out of your head. But these attitudes are like a ball and chain around your neck. And they, they shut off your experience of, of the joy and the trust and the peace that is to be yours in the kingdom of God. And when you when you find yourself thinking like that, I mean, you, you need to drop it like a hot potato. Because, in effect, in effect, it's it's like pulling you out of that dining room where the where there's this joyous, happy feast celebration going on, and it's putting you in this dark closet room where you're depressed and hopeless and life doesn't feel very good and it's a it, it, it it's a choice i mean if the world that we see and hear and touch and feel is all there is then this kind of thinking makes perfect sense cuz life is unfair i mean i hope hope nobody misunderstands me i mean injustices touch our lives through through, through mean people through Bosses who are not even-handed or bosses who are unreasonable. Uh, Unfaithful friends or spouses. um, Perhaps even unjust rulings against us in in court or some other kind of institution or work. Uh, And if we wanted to to sit down and cry about how unfair all of this is, we, we could probably do that for the rest of our lives. But that is looking at life without God. It's, it's not living in the realities of the kingdom. And just as, just as kind of a warning or a wake-up call, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but unless, unless you confidently believe in God's power to work good in your life through injustice, you're not living in the Spirit. You're not living full of the Spirit. If you're, when, you're, when you're clinging to uh, complaints and, and bitterness and resentments about all the unfair things that have happened and the injustice, just, they just don't go together. You can only be filled with the Spirit of God as you come into this place where you confidently and boldly continuously believe that God is for you and working all things for your good through all the mess and the injustice and the pain and the offenses of life. You must choose to confidently assert that God rules and overrules all the people in your life for good if you want to live in any kind of victory at all. 
And, you know, and, you, and we can't wait until we're thrown in prison like Paul to practice this. Can't, you can't wait for some big injustice to happen to you to start living this way. It, it, it has to start with uh, that, that driver that's rude to you or the neighbor who irritates you or maybe your grown-up son or daughter who mistreat you or, or your spouse who places unfair expectations on you or maybe even sometimes somebody in the church, a church brother or sister who just doesn't treat you in the way that, that they should. We, we've, we, we have to trust God that, he's, that he is working and at work and will work good in us and for us and, and make us the people we want to be, make us more complete, more perfect, more whole, stronger, richer, deeper people in Jesus as we live through these things and also that God will actually work his plans and his purposes for our lives through these things. Seeing ourselves as living under God's rule frees us from bitterness and anger and self-pity over what has happened to us or is happening to us. And it frees us to go on living in hope and love and optimism and even outright joy. Uh, And like Paul, it frees us to love Jesus, to rejoice in him, and to talk about Jesus instead of our own bitter complaints. We can get together and we can say, man, God is good. We can get together and talk about how much we love the Lord. We can talk about what he's doing in our life rather than being consumed by the, by the, by the injustices that have been worked against us. Romans 5, 1 through 3, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Uh, this grace in which we stand, is, it's not only a status of favor before God, but it's, it's a new place. It's like the, the door has been opened. Access has been given. Uh, we, we've gained access into this place of grace in which we stand. We're, we're under grace. We're under a canopy of grace, in an atmosphere of grace. And Paul says, in this place, first we have peace with God. Then we rejoice in expectancy of the glory of God. And third, we rejoice in our sufferings. Uh, in other words, exalting in our sufferings is one, of the, is one of the three most basic qualities of this new life that we have. And a part of those sufferings... Part of those sufferings are are injustice and mistreatment. Exalting in suffering and mistreatment is one of the greatest privileges of justification, and it's one of the most freeing things about this grace in which we stand. Now that you belong to God as his son or daughter, Sufferings and injustices work for you. They're not only working for God's plans for your life, but they're making you a deeper, richer, more complete person, a more overcoming person, as Paul said, with proven character and full of hope. You know, you can choose to um, tell yourself that all this is just not real, realistic, it sounds too hard, uh, my situation is different doesn't work for me. Um, 
It is a choice, but uh, this morning, God, God is inviting you to step into this place of triumph. He's inviting you to step into this place where you actually confidently believe this. And it, it, even if, if, you'd ra- if you'd rather simmer in bitterness or anger or frustration, you can do that. But there's just a much better place to live. And the invitation is open for you to go there. Let's pray.